1: And welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. I know I went on a bit of a rant last week about the sag After elections, but they're super important. Remember, these are the people that we put in charge to renegotiate our contracts, fight for residuals, fight for privacy, fight for safety, fight for all the things that um, we we count on being in a union. So if you have not voted, if you're a part of sag After, if you have not voted yet, do that ASAP. Get those ballots in the mail right now. In fact, do it while you're listening to this. It'll be a good, you know, a good thing to listen to while you're filling out your SAG ballot. Today on the show, we have my dear friend, Paul Nigro. He has been in so many things on television. He's been in films. He has done a lot of theater work as well. He's a choreographer, an actor, a singer, an announcer. He does basically everything. He's super inspiring in the fact that he is one of those people that has found a way to stay creative and work professionally his whole life as a creative, which is really what, you know, all of our goals are, right? Is to be a creative professional and be able to live solely on that. So he's super, super inspiring. And uh, we did a show a few years together called Acting Dead, which is a really funny show. It won a primetime Emmy. um, And yeah, so here's my conversation with my friend, Paul. And welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Nigro.
2: Hello, thank you for having me. Thank
1: you for coming on. You know, I love doing this show because I get to talk to people that, like, I've known for so long, and yet I still, I don't know, like, your your life story, your acting journey. Like, I just know you as Paul. I know you as my friend. Right.
2: I know. Isn't that strange? When we work together with people so closely for a, a very, like, compact period of time, you you are sort of in a bubble, and you don't really escape outside that bubble, And find out about all the other aspects of that person's life. Not because you don't want to, but because you really don't have the time.
1: Right. You don't have the time. (laughs) You're on set. You're working. You're doing your thing. And we're all so busy. I mean, when you're a creative in this industry, I feel like you have um, a thousand things going on at once just to keep um, ahead and keep things going and... You especially, I mean, my lord, triple threat. You're a director, you're a choreographer, you're a singer, you're an announcer, you're an actor. Like, you do all of the things all of the time. I don't know how you sleep.
2: I don't either, but quite soundly, I will say. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm so tired.
1: I am too. I am too. I started taking this, like, CBD, melatonin, something or rather, and I'll tell you what, that'll knock you out.
2: For real? Yeah. That's so funny. That's so... Many people in the industry have a difficult time sleeping. I don't. I mean, every, every once in a while, I'll have difficulty, uh, especially before a job that I'm particularly excited yeah. about. I can sleep fine before an audition. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but the jobs that you get. You get those And you're nerves. worried about them or you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited about this. That's when I can't sleep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to look my best. I need to get some sleep.
1: <laughs> so true. I don't have a problem with naps. I'm a great napper. I can take a nap anywhere. I nap on set all the time. Like that is my specialty <laughs> in life is napping on set. Um,
2: I think you and I uh, uh, are are kind of alone in that because everyone, everyone else that I know says I'm so jealous that you are able to nap. I mean, I could literally lay down on the cement and be like, I'm out for 15
1: minutes. Oh, 100%. There's a funny story my mom likes to tell. We were driving from, um, I think we were driving from like Portland. I don't know what was going on, but we were in the car with friends when I was young and I was like blasting, singing Shania Twain and like two seconds later, I was just fast asleep, like just out, like straight up narcolepsy, (laughs) done.
2: (laughs) I was doing, I got a real quick story. I was doing uh, choreographing and, and co directing a show on celebrity cruise lines mm. uh, a long time ago. Um, not that long ago, probably about 10 years ago. And it was a brand new ship. And we had just gotten done with our put in and our rehearsals. And we were all set to go. But the ship had to do a, uh, a test. You know, the Coast Guard has to do some sort of test with these new ships. And they do it at the drop of a hat and they don't give you any warning whatsoever. And we were in the uh, Caribbean somewhere. And. They said, okay, everyone has to get off the boat oh God. and we're going to take the boat out for four hours. And like, it's 12 o'clock at night. It's midnight. They're like, so what? So they literally drove into port, this tiny little port on a tiny little island where nothing was open. And it's midnight, 2,000 people that were all in the crew get off the boat and we're sitting on this dock for four hours. I'm like, I'm going to bed. Yeah. So I literally laid down on the cement and all my friends were like, do you know how many people were walking over you <laughs> and like nobody else could sleep and you're like snoring on the cement in the middle of nowhere with a thousand people walking over you? That's how I do it. You know,
1: it's it's a gift. It's a skill that you have been blessed with. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people would love to have that. So tell me, you know, since we were talking about, I don't really know your life story. Tell me your life story. No. Where did you start? How did you get the acting bug or the entertaining bug?
2: I got it a long time ago uh, when I was very young. I'm—I've always been. In fact, I just had this discussion today with a friend of mine. I've always been sort of a right lane, uh, right brain, left brain battling person. Yeah, I was very smart in school, but I also had this creative side. So my practical side was always battling with my creative side. Mm-hmm. And at a very young age, I knew that I loved to perform. Uh, from grade school, you know, right on up through high school and college. You
1: know, it's—it's it's funny to me because yeah. it's. Every single person I've talked to on the show says the same thing, and it—I really do think that if you're meant to be an entertainer, you know when you're a kid, like it's just like in yeah. you something in you wants to do that so badly.
2: Yeah, I know, I know, and as—and uh, I can understand parents, you know, not <laughs> wanting their children to go into the entertainment field because of—and I'm not so sure that they don't necessarily believe in their kids, but I think it's more about. Worrying that all the rejection is going to be a, a, a hellacious life to live, mm-hmm. and and that part of it's awful. But you get to the point where if you don't have a thick enough skin to deal with that, then you probably shouldn't be in this business to begin exactly. with. Exactly, because I mean that's just part of yeah. it. You're you're constantly rejected uh, on a daily basis, multiple times a day when you're <laughs> submitted for things and you don't get called in. But uh, but you know, convincing them when when it's time for you to make your own decisions. You just have to do it by showing them how much you love it mm. and how you, know, how you can uh, make a living doing it and how you can be happy and be happier doing that than anything else, if that's what really makes you happy. And that's what always made me happy Yeah, as a kid through high school. And you know, I started doing musicals at a very young age. Our middle school was very theatrical uh, and back in Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin originally. And uh, our middle school was seventh, eighth and ninth grade okay. at that time. And we always did musicals, and I absolutely loved it. And when I got to high school, my high school wasn't as theatrical. But by that time, uh, I started doing professional things. Mm. I auditioned for a show up in Milwaukee, was the closest big city, um, where I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. And uh, there was a theater called the Melody Top Theater. Mm. And I auditioned for a show, Bye Bye Birdie, uh, starring Greg Brady. Oh my god, wow. Barry Williams was wow. the star of the show and uh there I was as a you know 15 year old um being one of the teenagers in Bye Bye Birdie with uh, with Greg Brady and it was the, a ball and I knew right then that this was the life I wanted to have. That was the start of it all.
1: That's pretty spectacular too that your parents um let you do that at such a young age being from a small town. They were
2: yeah, they were worried because now I was 15 it was I just had my learner's permit driver's license I just started driving while when the show started so I was driving myself wow. to rehearsals and to the show and yeah they were concerned and it was a whole different life you know you're dealing with a lot of adults mm-hmm. in that world and you grow up very quickly and my parents kind of saw me Sort of policing myself Mm. and uh, and dealing with all the ups and downs of life, kind of on my own. Yeah. And they didn't want they. It's like they didn't want to intercede. They're like, he's got it, (laughs) he's got it. Uh, And I did, and I didn't. I mean, it was a great period of time, but it was also a big learning curve and a very, you know, um, not traumatic, but it was a difficult time. You know, dealing with professional people as a kid. Yeah. You know, you're 15 years old. I can only imagine what you know, celebrity. Kid, you know, superstars in, in their young, you know, early impressionable years, what that, what sort of toll that takes on their lives.
1: I, uh, yeah, I talk about that a lot with, with my friends, um, particularly ones that I grew up in the industry with as child actors and how, especially now how different it is with child actors, with social media and how accessible they yeah. are to, you know, all these weird people on the internet. Um, yeah. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know, like, how it's going to affect them later on in life i think that's going to be an interesting thing that we're going to start seeing happen in the next 10 to 20 years of like the mental effects of that growing up as a child actor but also having this like social media thing because before like sure there was there was you know there's always obstacles as a child actor right but yeah,
2: and there's always scrutiny right. and there's always critics but and all then that having sort of stuff. Having that but, social
1: media aspect, I don't know how yeah. kids today can do it. I, fi- I feel like if I had a child who was in the industry now, I wouldn't let them be on social media. Yeah. Just because it's toxic. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. And a lot of times, you know, parents do their best. Yeah. You know, I-, I can't imagine a parent goes into any sort of situation with their kid thinking. I'm going to do the worst thing for my kid. <laughs> now, I'm sure they all have wonderful intentions. Right. And, you know, the, the industry tends to change people or, or brings bring situations that you may not be equipped to handle as an adult or a kid. Yeah. And you try certain things and some things you fail at. You can't, you, you can't necessarily blame all the problems that a child actor may have on on parents. No. But a good, strong family uh, situation does help. It certainly helps. Oh, Yeah. I mean, for kids to be surrounded by a strong, supportive uh, uh, family and friends, mm-hmm. I think having a strong circle of friends that will protect you and and you know watch over you mm-hmm. is very, very important. My friends have been my uh, lifesavers here in California because my family's all back in Wisconsin. Right. So I was here on my own really since uh, since I moved out here thirty two years ago. Wow. Would, oh, so goodness. when you.
1: When you after you did Bye Bye Birdie in Wisconsin, did you go to college for for acting?
2: Yes, yeah, I did. Um, well, there was a little bit of a not a break, but after I did uh, Bye Bye Birdie, I um, did a show in Milwaukee, a, a production of A Chorus Line, oh, wow. uh, as a as a teenager. I, think I was sixteen at the time, like right after Bye Bye Birdie, or somewhere in there. Uh, I must have been sixteen because at seventeen. I was chosen to be in the 5,000th performance of a chorus line on Broadway. Oh, wow. They were celebrating the 5,000th anniversary and they had this countrywide search for anyone who had done an amateur production of a chorus line. So I submitted my picture and they picked me and flew me to New York. Oh, my and God. And there I was on Broadway at 17 years old, brought my dad along, went through rehearsals. We were in the show for one night, just the 5,000th performance. And we did, it was a, absolutely amazing. One of the, one of the most, uh, um, I guess, important moments of my career, solidifying the fact that this is what I wanted to do. However, in the rehearsal process, my dad, I brought my dad, mm-hmm. you could be one person. So I brought my dad and he was sitting next to the choreographer while the rehearsals were going on. And the choreographer turned to him and said, your son is good enough to stay here in New York and be on Broadway. And my dad said, nope. <laughs> and you're not, you're not going to tell him that? And I'm not going to tell him that. And he's going to finish college and then he can make that decision. So he told me after I graduated from college that uh, they said, yeah, you, uh, you could have (laughs) stayed.
1: Oh my gosh, dad. Yeah,
2: But I am, I am so glad that I finished uh, college because some of my most formative years as a performer were because of the training that I had in college and not necessarily just the training. The experience doing the shows that I did and it was able to do in the college that I went to um certainly increased my my uh, uh, knowledge about performing. Uh, obviously, it made me a better dancer, it made me a better singer, it made me a better actor, and it made me able to navigate the world of auditioning and your peers and all that sort of stuff because, even when you go to college, it's the it, uh, auditions are brutal. Yeah, they
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> they they really yeah. are. I remember there was this one casting director when I was growing up um that really taught us all <laughs> how rough auditioning is. I remember sitting in her office multiple times and some like kids would come out crying from the room and I'd be like, "Ah. That that wasn't yeah. an emotional scene. This is a comedy." That isn't good. <laughs> like that's not good. Um so there that was my training. But uh so after college did you go to New York then? Did you did you try your hand out there? I
2: didn't. You know, I I battled with that and I thought do I w- want to go to New York or do I want to go to Los Angeles? Mm. And for some reason I was more I was a little more drawn to Los Angeles number 1 because I grew up in Wisconsin and I was done with the snow and cold. <laughs> And I thought, all right, if I want a real change of pace and I want some good weather, I'm going to L.A. And I did have a distant uncle that lived here. a great uncle, my grandmother's brother, who was out here. And uh, I did move out here and was able to live in his pool house for a few months until I got a job on a cruise ship, singing and dancing on a cruise ship. And strangely enough, most of the work I got the first five to ten years that I was out here was all theater. Mm, So it's interesting that I didn't move. (laughs) Yeah, then I didn't move to New York. I came to California and did mostly theater stuff at that time. That's
1: hysterical because like, I mean, for those listening who don't really know, if you are an actor and you live in, you know, a small town and you have the decision to move somewhere, New York, you go for theater, LA, you come for film and television.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely
1: that's so funny to Absolutely. me, because I have so many friends who have like had to move back to New York because they're like the theater scene out here just it doesn't exist like I need to go out right. there to do what I want to do, and then you come out here and I, you only do theater
2: I know I know, and then and I have been back to New York a few times. I moved back uh there was like four different situations where I could have moved to New mm. York because of a show that I was doing um one of them was. Uh, a show called Reefer Madness that actually started here in Los Angeles back in uh, 1998, wow. 1999. And we did the the New York version. We went off Broadway in 2001. Mm. And sadly, we opened uh, three days after 9-11. Oh, no. <laughs> so that was bad timing. There I moved to New York and... Uh, I saw the buildings fall from my new bedroom window that I literally just moved into in uh, Brooklyn on September 10th. I moved literally September 10th to an apartment in Brooklyn, and the next morning I could see smoke billowing past my window, and uh, opened up my curtains, and
1: there it was. There
2: she blows. Wow. But it was uh, yeah. So we we opened, and we were open for a couple months. And then we just couldn't sustain. There were no pre sale right? you know, pre-ticket Nobody was sales. going to so you, New York. You,
1: you couldn't even, like, go no. to D.C. You couldn't do anything back then. I remember we I went know. on a, a school trip to Washington, D.C., and, like, half the stuff they wanted to take us to, we couldn't go to because things were still in, like, code red. Yeah. Wow. Uh, absolutely. Wow.
0: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast.
1: I mean, I guess the question is, it's like, did you, did you want to stick on the theater path or did you want to do more film and television?
2: You know, that's a great question because I love both mediums yeah. so much. Uh, and it kind of, the seesaw kind of goes, you know, the scale goes back and forth. I, I love the intimacy of television and film because I, nothing grabs me more than uh very realistic Yeah acting and real, real moments. And that really can only come with the camera, you know, with with television and film. I mean, of course you can be real on stage, but there's always a bigness to stage right. that, um, unless you're in a very, very intimate theater, a very, very small theater space, it's a, it's just bigger. You have to be bigger. And everyone in theater knows that. And, and it's oftentimes not well, it's never an easy thing to go back and forth. Mm-mm. I mean, unless you have experience in both and you know the feeling of it, the actual, the, the literal feeling of what it's like acting for both mediums, uh, it can be daunting. Either one can be daunting. Uh, back in the day, I remember whenever television and film stars would try to do theater, they were just, they were like, how do you memorize this whole thing <laughs> all at once, a whole show? We only have to memorize like four or five lines, oh you know, God. at a time. And then we just let it go. Yeah. It's a little different having to memorize an entire show yeah. and perform it eight times a week. It's a little different. And then the opposite, you know, come from theater and you're like, what, what do you mean? I'm being too big. I can't use oh my, my God, hands like did. this on screen or move my eyes around or move my eyebrows up and down. No, let's pull it in, rain it yeah. in. But I love to answer your question. I love both. And I, and I love going back and forth um, from both. I think it's an incredible challenge. And there's there's rewards to be had in both. There's things you can do f- for the camera that you just can't do on stage mm-hmm. and vice versa.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're completely different forms. They're, they're different yeah. skill sets. I mean, down to like yep. using your diaphragm. Like
2: it is so different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Tell
1: me a little bit about working on a, on a cruise line as a performer, because that has to be fun. But also, I feel like I would be scared that the ship was going to go down.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was the least of our worries. Really? Of course, I was much younger. Yeah. Back when, back when I did that, I literally just moved out here. So I was 21, 22. And uh, uh, being out on the ocean and traveling all around to different places and being paid to do it and singing and dancing and, and, you know, True. frankly drinking a lot. And and we just, all we did was party and go to Midnight ports Hita. and, and, and yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and we would sing and dance our butts off, uh, every other night. And we had, we had officer status. So they wanted us to be out and about with the people oh. uh, mingling with all the guests. And, um, it was great. It was an absolutely wonderful time. Huh. Some of the, some of the most difficult shows I've done were on that ship because, I mean, they're, they're fast-paced, and the dancing was some of the, the hardest and best dancing I've ever done. Um, as far as the ship moving or going down, yeah. I never <laughs> worry about that. I, I didn't have a problem with, with the, the motion of the ocean, except for one ship. I had to I, – I moved – I was uh, in between contracts, and usually you do six-month contracts. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they can be longer, depending on what cruise line you're working for. I worked for Princess Cruises um, back in the day and uh, i had been transferred to one ship just for a month they needed a replacement so i was in between contracts and it was one of the smaller ships i usually did their bigger ships Mm -hmm. that had anywhere between two and four thousand people on board and this one was a smaller one and actually the the ship that they used for uh filming the love boat it was actually that was that was the love boat exterior uh, whenever they showed that for the actual Love Boat. And I got to do a commercial with Gavin on oh, so um, for cool. Princess Cruises, which was kind of amazing. And he just passed away. He was such yeah. a sweet man, such a sweet guy. Uh, anyway, that ship, the smaller the ship, the more they roll with the ocean. Oh, no. And I will never forget, for a week, the shows were canceled because you could not, I mean, it was dangerous. <laughs> all the all the chairs, and the, I mean, everything was moving. All the set pieces were moving back and forth. You could see the oh, curtains going back and forth. But in our rooms, (laughs) so we were in our rooms, and we would be watching a television or a movie, you know, with our friends, and the room would go like this, (laughs) and this, and this, like it felt like it was on a ninety degree angle. Everything would fall to one side, and you're like, "Are we gonna tip over?" And then it would slowly come back, and then go to the other side, and everything would fall to the other side. Like surely we're gonna tip over. Oh my god! And that was probably the most scared I've been, but it literally was not. I don't remember being terrified. I just remember it was a weird feeling how slow it went. Slowly it went back and (laughs) forth. But other than that, all the other times it was fine.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) You've been on everything um, in your career. You've done (laughs) it all. Um, What do you think is your favorite? Because you've done a lot of TV work. What do you think is your favorite show that you've like guested on or or reoccurred on? Oh, my
2: gosh. I think my favorite was – I'd have to say Buffy, yes, the Vampire Slayer. The best. That was. And I had never had, I'd never gotten to do uh, prosthetic makeup before. Yeah. And I was really excited about it. And boy, was it uh, uh, a crash course in in prosthetics. <laughs> really? Because my whole face was covered with prosthetics. I was a demon that um, that actually got to beat up Spike. I don't know if I ever, mean, anyone watched the it's, show. That's like
1: a dream come true. Although I like yeah, Spike yeah. was my boy. It was.
2: He was he was pretty amazing and a great guy, and I got to punch him out nice. in a bar and then throw him outside and get in his face and tell him that I was gonna kick his butt and uh, all the while wearing this this makeup and it took it took strangely enough it took longer to take it off mm. than it did to put it on because I have to be very very meticulous with the manner in which they take it off because that those prosthetics stick to your entire face God. there's glue over your entire face because in order to make those your face look like it's a natural face and move with your movements and smiles and scowls. It has to be adhered to every portion of your skin. And and it was, boy, (laughs) was that ever uh, all over my skin. But the thing that I remember the most, and I had a ball doing it. They, um, they did alter my voice, but they did it uh, in real time. They had a microphone. My microphone was hooked up so that they would alter my voice as it was going into the recording so you know i sounded like a demon but you know they said whatever you do talk like a normal person (laughs) don't try and sound like a demon you have to sound like a normal person because that's the only way this this tweaking will work is if you act like you're just just act okay just just act wow (laughs) like a normal person that was so interesting to me um and the other interesting thing and it was a really fun scene it was like this long Uh, a moment. And it was just so much fun to do. But I remember it was one person's job because I had contacts in my eyes to play the demon that literally covered your entire eyeball. I mean, I wear contacts as it is, but to put these eyeballs in, like I still dream about it to this day that I have to put in a contact lens that's the size of a, like a movie camera lens or something. And I just can't open my eyes wide enough in these nightmares but they would would suck onto your entire eyeball. So you could feel it all the way inside your Ah. eye. And it was this person's job in the ward of department to literally follow me around all day and just go, do you need eye drops? Do you need (laughs) eye drops? Are your eyes dried out? And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. So just this
1: person following
2: me around with eye drops all day long. Must've been a horrific job to have.
1: Well, and she probably had to do it or he, whoever it was, had, had to do it with every single person that they did contacts with too. So, you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Those days spent just following an actor and be like, you want eye drops?"
2: Yeah. I, drops I know. And I'm sure that they've I'm sure that they've perfected those those yeah. the, you know, contact lenses and and we've both worn, you know, crazy contact lenses, but those ones were so big and so I guess not breathable. Mm. Like the new ones that they made. That was back in You know, right in 2000, I think it was 2000. So it was 20 years ago, Mm. 21 years ago.
1: So on this show, we like to share audition stories, either ones that have gone awry or sad ones or happy ones. Um, (laughs) I I love the comical ones too. There was a great story last year where a girl almost kicked a casting director in the face doing a high kick. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. uh, Do you have any stories that you would like to share with the audience?
2: Oh, I have a few, but I, I have to start with the ones that, you know, the one that got yes. away. And, and most of my stories are strange enough, all my theater auditions, mm. my musical theater and Broadway auditions, because the, the situations you get into are always hysterical. <laughs> and my biggest, it, it's not a regret because I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, but I certainly had a wonderful audition. Uh, it was for rent. Oh when rent God. first came out, um, I knew some of the people involved because I was working at Universal Studios at the time. And the show that I was doing back then was called uh, The Beetlejuice Rock and Roll Graveyard the Review. show. Yeah. And and some of the most talented people I've ever worked with did that mm. show. And a lot of them were cast in Rent. Mm. And uh, the very first cast, uh, workshops, and then they went to the, you know, they were started off Broadway and then it moved to Broadway. And when they moved to Broadway and they started casting the tour, they brought in a bunch of us, or they came to LA to audition some of the other people that worked at that show, and I was one of those people. So I had like three or four callbacks in LA, and it was for the role of Mark. Mm. And, uh, I can uh see that. it was such a great part and such a great show at the time. I, I, I identified with it much more then than I do now, right.
1: now I <laughs> as was a, just, as
2: a much older, I
1: was just telling my best friend, I was like, okay, y'all are crazy. Benny <laughs> wanted to give you a free apartment and a freaking yes! place to make your shit. And you said, no, I would oh love my that God. Benny. Where Jillian, are
2: you? <laughs> you don't understand. That's the, that is the, has been the bane of my existence with that show from, the get-go like you, you guys he's just he's giving you a place to stay for free and you yeah. can do all your and work, you have a studio. all of your artistic work oh my god okay, anyway do it be that as it may <laughs> i finally was flown out to new york and i had my my final callback and i thought okay for this final callback i'm going for it and i dyed my hair blonde nice and it did not work out it was not blonde. It was orange. It, you know, it was kind of green at times, depending on the lighting or what day it was. And it did not work. And I walked into that audition and they were like, who are you? And literally like they had seen me for the first time, not knowing that they had already seen me four times back in LA oh and I was coming in for my final callback. And I didn't even get, I think I sang part of one song and they were like, okay, thank you. And I like, went, wait, wait a second. I, I sang like four songs before. You know, can I do this other thing? They're like, nope, that's all we need. I was <laughs> like, but it's me, it's it's Paul. I you know, I I, I my I mean I didn't say this, but you know, I should have said, Hey, I dyed my hair, maybe I shouldn't have. They literally didn't recognize me or who I was or remembered me, and that was it. Wow. I blew the whole thing dyeing my hair orange or green or whatever it was to try and, 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 and mold myself into who was already playing that mm. role. And it was so dumb of me to do that because they cast several guys for the role of Mark that did not have blonde hair.
1: Right. Well, and that's – it and brings that, up an interesting point because there's so many stories out there, you know, like Sterling K. Brown shaving his head for what was an American crime story when he went to do the audition and – Uh, Leighton Meester dyeing her hair brown for her test for Blair and Gossip Girl. She was a blonde, like, she dyed it right before she went in to test for it because she knew that that's what they wanted. So, it's interesting to hear that backfire.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it can, you know, and more and more, I've learned as an actor throughout the years and decades that the more you are yourself and the more you bring of yourself to the audition the more chance, the better chance you have of booking that job. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to show them that who you are is maybe better than what was written down on that page in the character description. Because most of the times, unless it's very, very, very specific, like we need a 300 pound weightlifter, you know, they're not going to go with some, you know, marathon runner. But for the most part, if they're looking for uh, the best actor or actress, they're going to they're going to see you being the best version of you and your, what you want to bring to the character to the table. And that's what they're going to see. And if it doesn't work for this part, it's going to work for another part. Right.
1: Well, because that's
2: just something that what you bring
1: to a character is what is, you know, part of you and that what is, what makes it unique because if we were all doing the same thing at the, you know, the same moments, the same timing, the same, that's why like when I was younger, I, I didn't love getting coached because there was like, two or three coaches out here that would see every kid. And so you knew like, oh, I know that this coach has seen like five other girls for this exact same role. That's not a good thing
2: need to stay away from that.
1: But I mean, that's just like, it's, it's what makes acting fun is bringing like parts of you and adding your uniqueness and your quirks into a character, but then also creating the character to mold into something different than who you are.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and two of the shows of the Broadway shows that I got, I did the tour of Sister mm-hmm. Act, the musical and, uh, and First Wives Club had a town tryout in Chicago. Both, both of those were so much fun to do. And both of them, I had horrible auditions <laughs> in the beginning. I mean, it was insane, but I owned it. And especially for, I, I kind of mixed the two up. I can't remember which one was for which, but I went into one of those and I think it was for Sister or for a, a First Wives Club. Um, I went into that audition and I sang some Billy Joel song because they wanted pop music. And I sang this Billy Joel song and I cracked, I must've cracked like my way through that entire hey. song. I was, I, I, for some reason, I just could not nail the notes. And by the time I got done, I'm like, you guys, I just gave you more crack than a plumber's convention <laughs> in that show. And, and they laughed their butts off. And literally the next year they called me back and said, we want you, we want you in this show. Wow. I went, What? How you possibly want me in this show after that and like because you owned it and you and you were yourself and you didn't apologize for it you just went on and and that we love that yeah. that's the kind of people we want to work with. And a similar thing happened with Sister Act. I had gone in for my callback and this was in Los Angeles and literally the night before I had laryngitis. Oh my god. I was with some friends in Big Bear and I'm like you guys I have an audition tomorrow for a Broadway show and I can't speak. And I'm like, okay, shut up. Don't say anything else tonight. And, and you know, I had to drive four hours into LA from Big Bear for my audition. And, but I had to practice the music somehow. Mm. So I would like trying very, very quietly practice and nothing would come out. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to show up at that audition and do the best I can. And I got to that audition. And by the grace of God, something came down and uh, let me <laughs> sing my little butt off. And they said, okay, now we want you to read this part. Now, we want you to sing this part and we're going to raise it one step just to see how high you can sing. I'm like, I can do it one more time and that's it. I can't sing anymore. And I didn't tell them that, but that was going on in my head. And when I got done, they're like, You're in. Wow. Okay. (laughs) And then
1: you're like, Can I please not talk for the rest of the day and also maybe the rest of the week?
2: Yeah, I hope the show's not going to start for a while because I'm, I'm out. Done. I am done for a That's while. That's so
1: funny. I once had a callback for... Was it a callback or a second callback? I can't remember. But I had my initial audition, my voice was gone. I don't. I think I went to a concert like two days before or something. My voice was just gone, dead, right? It was just rasp. That's all you heard. It was very Natasha Leone. I mean, really right. raspy. And <laughs> uh, when I went in, I think they loved it because the role was like, it was a lead and a pilot and it was like a, like an IT, like grungy type of girl. They probably thought this fits perfect. She has such a great voice. So then I get the call back and I'm like, (laughs) fuck, my voice sounds normal again. So literally for an hour beforehand, I'm screaming, like scream singing in my car, trying to get my voice to sound different than like it normally does. Because I, I wanted to try and like emulate what my voice had been.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Were you able to do it? Were you able to do it?
1: Uh, Yeah, kind of. It ended up being like super cracky though. Like it wasn't, it no. wasn't what I had sounded like before. It's like when Phoebe gets a cold in friends, do you remember that episode of friends where she gets a cold oh, yes. and then she's like, no, give me my cold back. I sound sexier with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> you know, I think about that all the time with my voiceover friends, you know, I, um, that's one of the, you know, another thing that, that, We do Mm -hmm. and voiceover stuff with, with the people that, especially the people that do many different voices for, for animated features. I always wonder how they keep those straight because when I do voices, I have to really think, Oh, this is how I'm manipulating my voice for this particular character or this audition. But I hope I remember how I did that. If I either get called back or cast in the Mm -hmm. role, because you'd have so many different voices sometimes that you must have some sort of arsenal or, Either write it down or record yourself or make a mental note. Okay, this, for this particular voice, I move my tongue over to the left side of my mouth and I, you know, turn my head or whatever it is that you do to get that voice out. I wonder if there's problems remembering what it is you did to get that voice.
1: I'm sure. I mean, even with like regular auditions for on camera, it's like I, there's roles that I've booked purely because I like put my voice up like two octaves higher to sound like a ditz and it worked. Or like when we did Acting <laughs> Dead, Alex, I, I lowered my voice for that because she was supposed to be, you know, a cranky little biatch. And so I yeah, yeah. I lowered my voice a little bit when we did Acting Dead, which is a great show for everyone who's listening and you should watch it.
2: Oh, yeah. You guys got to watch it. It's fantastic.
1: Um, wow. Well, that was a, a crazy story with Rent and, and all of the other shows. I mean, fun stuff. Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah. There's so many so many more. Can I share one more Yes, thing? do it. Well, this one was a... a this was my first commercial that I did and it's not more it's not really an audition song but it's more of a an after I I booked it sort of thing and it was it was a McDonald's commercial back in the uh, mid 90s and it was my first big SAG job and it was, it was by myself I was going to be the lead in a McDonald's commercial they were going to shrink me down in a green screen and make me walk inside the bag and tell the deals that were going on at the time I was so excited this was going to be my ticket to stardom and I got to the set and it, obviously it was just a huge Green room, right. uh, massive green room. And I was expecting everyone to be so incredibly professional. It was going to be very, you know, uh, uh, everyone was on time, et cetera, et cetera. and knew what they were doing. Well, it turns out they were supposed to be, they wanted at the end, me to sing the McDonald's theme song and dance across the ground, oh, okay. across the screen. Well, there's, I'm in a big green screen room with no marks on the floor and no, there was no choreographer and no <laughs> musician. No one played the music. And they're like, well, can't you just dance across the floor and make something up? How? What? Ca- and I like said, kind? Um, well, first of all, I have to know where to start yeah. and where to end. And I, can you put like a mark on the ground? And they're like, okay. And it's like they got all upset with me. And then I said, can I take like 10 minutes to try and think of something? And they're like, ugh, everyone take a break. He has to think of something to, to dance across the They were so mean. Oh my God. So awful. So finally I did it and they're like, okay, now sing the theme song as you're doing it. I'm like, well, which, which one? They're like, you know, the one that everyone sings and no one on set could sing it. And I went, you mean what you want is what you get? Yes, that one, that one, sing that one. I'm like, well, is there a musical background? And they said, no, just sing it a cappella and we'll match the music to you later. So I had to what? sing, <laughs> I had to sing the theme song to McDonald's, choreograph my own dance across the floor, end on this particular mark, and and that was the commercial. So I did it, and it was completed. It was fine. I did a great job. And the day that this commercial was supposed to air, this is for the for the uh, it was during the World Cup mm. competition that was here in Los Angeles for soccer, and then this was 1994, and I was working uh, for Disney at the time. At the El Capitan Theater doing a live show. And the whole cast was backstage watching TV because my commercial was going to air that day. And I was already, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And that day was when OJ Simpson got in his white Ford Bronco and did the slow speed chase. And they shut down all the television shows (laughs) and followed that chase all day long. And my commercial didn't air.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Can you believe that? Of all
1: <laughs> of all the times of day, of all the days yeah. in the year. Yeah. Oh, my yes. God.
2: That had to be the day. Wow. So that was the big one that got away wow. from me, Paul Nigro.
1: <laughs> That's wild. And then you had the, the show shut down essentially because of September 11th. My God.
2: Yes. I know, I know. I, I, one would think I'm actually bad luck for shows at this point, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, what's next? What are you working on? Are you working on, I know you have been writing and whatnot. Is that right?
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a, like you said before, a thousand different things. Um, I have a, a theater company that I helped create down in, in Laguna Beach and we're doing, we're starting up new productions down there yes. um, I'm doing a lot of directing and choreographing down there. Uh, convention work is coming back yeah. and I do, I'm um, host I host at conventions. So I'm so, uh, hopefully going to do a couple of those one in Baltimore and then in Chicago. So I'll be doing that. Uh, I have a short in a festival right now, ethnically ambiguous. That's doing the festival circuit nice. right now. Um, fingers crossed for that, that web series goes somewhere yeah. and I got a couple pilot pitches out that I acted in and a, a movie trailer for a guy that's pitching a movie, all these little yeah. things of that, you know, irons in the fire and, and got my hat in a lot of different rings. Um, but one of the big things that I'm doing now is e- I'm editing and I love, I love editing and you, I'm starting to put I together. hate it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And one of the services I'm doing now is, is uh, I'm filming, reading with and editing people's self tapes oh, nice. because that is the wave of the future yeah. right now. Um, it's self tapes from here on mm-hmm. out. And so I, I started uh, doing self tapes for people and I've gotten a lot of clients that are, that are booking stuff. That's great. So that's one of the things that I'm working on right now is, uh, is filming self tapes for people. So if you need someone to film self tape, reach
1: out, speaking of, reach out to what's me, what's your social media yeah. so people can follow you and reach out.
2: Paul Nigro. It is my name, Paul Nigro, N as a Nancy, Y-G-R-O, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. I got all my channels going. Um, I'm, I'm coming up with new content as well, doing some DIY projects. And I, I'm starting a couple things that I want to do on a regular basis on Instagram. Um, sort of a, a good news thing mm. uh, where I'm hosting and I'm just talking about good stuff that happens. Because we need more good news don't you think hundred
1: percent (laughs) a hundred percent
2: yes yes
1: awesome well so
2: keep watching thank
1: you so much for coming on it's always a pleasure to to have you around and to talk to you um so thank you for sharing all of your stories with me i really appreciate it
2: you are welcome it was a ball to be on board let's do it again do it
1: again (laughs) Thanks again to Paul for coming on the show and spending a little time with me and thank you to everybody who is listening to the show right now. I have a blast doing this show. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, It really means the world to me. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it right now. Also, if you could, you know, hit the stars or the hearts or whatever is, you know, on that platform screen. If you could give us some love, it really does help us over here. I know every podcast person says that, but it's because it's true, unfortunately. Um, And if you're not following us on social media, what are you doing? You should, you should be following us and uh, checking out the videos that we post from these interviews. And yeah, we will see you next week. And as always, thanks for coming in.
0: Anna Sheridan, New York Times best-selling author of supernatural horror, missing for nearly six months now.
2: That's not possible. Burden, or did I turn to
0: Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierced the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal, seven hundred meters.